Well, it is good to be able to preach this morning, and as I said, Joshua is out of town on vacation, uh, so continue to pray for him and his family. I hope it's a time of uh, joy for them and uh, a time that they can uh, refresh and recharge and get back to us. This morning, as we do celebrate Palm Sunday, we see in the Gospels this story of Palm Sunday. As the Jesus comes into town and as they, he is greeted, they're calling out, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're laying down palm branches and waving palm branches for him. This was a time in Scripture where it had been prophesied that this would happen. And so the people of this time would have known that a Messiah was coming. They had heard the stories. They have read. They knew the Old Testament. They knew what it said about the prophecies. And so they were waiting. They were waiting for him. And they saw the work that he did. They saw the miracles that he had performed. And many began to see him as the Messiah. As Joshua mentioned a few weeks ago, from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, it was about 400 years of silence. 400 years where the prophets don't say anything else. 400 years where people are waiting for the Messiah. There were over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the person of Jesus, concerning the Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled all of them. And I want to look particularly this morning at a passage that would have been very familiar to the, uh, those, the Jews during this time. And so we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 53. So I encourage you to turn there in your Bibles, and we're going to be there this morning. Again, it is a familiar passage uh, probably to you. Uh, it's a familiar passage, and again, it's Isaiah chapter 53. And if you'll read along with me. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We, all we like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. 
and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. And was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. So I want us to look at a few things this morning from this passage. Again, this is a passage that they would have been familiar with in the first century. God was silent for 400 years. And I think sometimes God doesn't always conform to our ideals. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he isn't working. Like in those 400 years. I think sometimes in life, we struggle with the quiet. I think it's when we struggle with anxiety, when we struggle with depression, when fear creeps in. It may be times where we've asked God for something and we hear nothing. And we begin to wonder, does he hear us? Is he there? And we see this throughout Scripture. He is working even when we don't understand. In those 400 years of silence, he was working. He began working on our behalf. And so many times... We don't see God working. Again, just because he is silent doesn't mean he isn't working. And our expectations are not always God's reality. I'm sure some of you have given a gift to someone and you expected, you know, a huge reaction Maybe you didn't get it. I can remember um, just recently, uh, my in-laws, uh, we took our daughter to our kids to Disney World. And it was Ada's first time going. She's five. And so we were excited. We could not wait to see her expression, to see her face as she saw Disney World. And so we were excited for that. And so we drive down there, and we get to Disney. She sees it, and a day or two into the trip, we're like, you know, or asked, what was your favorite part? What, you know, what did you see? What did you like? She's like, well, I like the gas station that we stopped at on the way. She's like, it had the coolest snacks. So there, our expectation was that she would be thrilled with seeing something like Disney World, something that she hadn't seen before. And she was excited about a gas station. It would have saved my in-laws a lot of money if we'd have just taken her down to the circle K. So I think many times, guys, we do the same thing. We expect things to be a certain way. 
And when they're not, we get confused. And we begin to worry, and we begin to stress, and we begin to struggle. And so sometimes situations don't unfold the way we think they should. But God has a higher plan. I was talking with several, uh, I can, just this week I've had several um, people that I've interacted with and we've talked about this very thing that sometimes it is so hard to wait. It is so hard when we don't understand. But we have to trust God still. Sometimes God uses this time of waiting to refine us, to change us, to mold us to what we need and who we need to be. You see, in this passage, Jesus wasn't like they thought he would be. They heard King, they heard Messiah, they heard Savior, they expected him to come in and rule and take over and free them. Scripture tells us, and what I love about this passage in Isaiah, this is 700 years before the time of Christ, and this is how he is described. There was no stately form or majesty. Where was he born? In a stable. To a carpenter. And to his young bride. He was despised. Herod wanted to get rid of him. So when we see this example of who Christ is, who the Messiah will be, he doesn't always meet the reality of what he really is. Our expectations, the first century Jews, their expectations were far different than what they saw as Jesus. They expected him to take over. They didn't expect to see him go to the cross. But in reality, that's what we needed. In reality, sometimes, it again, it doesn't always measure up with our expectations. But we have to believe, we have to have hope that God's reality is so much greater than our expectations. And also we, we see here the way Jesus is described in this passage. There was a gentleness about him. It said that he would be taken, and that he wouldn't open his mouth. His gentleness here is not a weakness. It is his strength. He knew what he had to do. He knew that he had to be that sacrifice for us. And he did it. He knew what he had to do. Second section here I, I want to look at is that he took our punishment. And as I studied this week, this came to my mind all week was the depth of his suffering shows his depth of love. The depth of his suffering shows his depth of his love. You know, we can look at the depth that someone loves us a couple of different ways. First thing is be, what could it cost them? 
What is it costing them to love us? February 3rd, 1943, World War II was going on, and there was a ship called the USS Dorchester. Over 900 men would be on this ship. There were several ships in this fleet. They were um, on their way to an unknown assignment to the crew when they were hit by German missiles. And the ship began to sink. And in chaos and in terror, people were grabbing life jackets and running for safety. There were four chaplains aboard that ship. Four chaplains that came from different backgrounds, different denominations. Those four chaplains were working to make sure everyone had lifesaver, life-saving jackets on, and they began to give theirs away because they didn't have enough. And it was said of these four men that as the ship went down, people could look back and see them holding hands, praying, singing hymns as they sunk. And they lost their lives because they saw others' lives as something to give for. So these four chaplains, these four men gave their life for others. They would be posthumously awarded the Purple Heart and the Distinguished Service Cross. There have been documentaries written about them. There have been books written, papers, works of art, music, because of them. So when we look at Christ, what did it cost him? It cost him his very life. He didn't receive just a few bruises for us. No, he received death, and that shows how much he loves us by what it cost him, and it cost him his life. And so the first thing there that we see is the depth of his suffering shows how deep his love is for us. Second part, we could kind of look at that when understanding the depth of love is how little we've done to to earn it, to deserve it. We have to understand how we've treated a good and gracious God, that we have pushed him away, that we have offended him, yet he loves us anyway, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Another part of that is, what are we receiving? What, are, what is our gain? What are our benefits that we get? If someone helps you do a mundane task, uh, you know, if someone just helps you take out the trash, you might feel one way. You might be thankful. But if someone were to come along and make you more financially secure, you're going to feel a little bit different way, right? You're going to feel a little bit more gratitude, a little more thankfulness. If someone were to rescue you from a burning building, and save your life, well, you're going to feel a completely different way, right? If we have a God that is going to rescue us from eternal separation from Him, 
and bring us into eternity to live in his presence where there is no more pain, there is no more sickness, there are no more tears, then shouldn't that make us feel a different way? He has promised us all the riches and all that he has. So again, we can see his depth of love by what we receive by a gracious God. Last part of this is that how freely is it given? What is the freedom that someone does something for us? If someone does something for you and they're made to do it, does that really feel like love? If For those of you who uh, have kids and have raised kids and maybe you have not that siblings ever fight with each other, I know that my three never do, um, and I know growing up, I was the third, I was the baby of the family, I was the good one, um, and so, so all the babies in the family understand that, right? But I can remember getting in fights with my sister and my mom telling me to say, I'm sorry, and I would say, I'm sorry. Was I really sorry? Probably not. I was probably sorry I got caught. I was sorry that I had to say sorry. But was I, was I really sorry? Was it really heartfelt? So if someone does something for you and they're made to do it, that's not really love, is it? This next week here, we have tax season. And for some of you, you will send your taxes off and you'll get a refund. Is the government giving money to you because they love you? No, they're not doing it. They're doing it out of, they have to, based on laws and all guidelines that they have to do. They're giving you that money. It's not out of, oh, we're just, we want to be charity and we want to give this to you, here you go. No. There's legal ties to it. They have to abide by certain guidelines. But when someone loves you because they aren't getting anything out of it in return and they're doing something for you, for your benefit, for your good, that is love. And so we look at what Christ did for us, the depth of his love, that he would leave eternity, that he would become like us, that he would go through struggles and pain and suffering in this world that he would know what it feels like to be tired, to know what it's like to be mocked, to be beaten. And he did these things because he loves us, and it's his depth of love that he shows. As we continue in this passage, we see that also he was bruised, not out of anger, from God, but out of love for us, because he knew what he must do. He became like us, so that one day we could become like him. He became like us, so that one day we can become like him. The third part of this section of verses, is that we see that he triumphs over sin and death. In 
In verse 11, we see, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded. We see that Jesus would end all sacrifices. The fruit of his suffering is salvation for us. That if we will repent of our ways and what we have done, that he will give us eternal life. Even in this passage, we see that it talks about the sacrifices. And again, the, the first century Jews would have understood this and they would have understood the sacrifices they would meet, have to make. And what Isaiah is saying here, what God is telling us and what Jesus did is that he was the ultimate sacrifice because he became like us and he lived a sinless life and he took on our punishment on the cross. And so there was sacrifices uh, several years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to Tanzania. And we were working with the Maasai people there. And they would take a lot of different religions. Because they wanted, you would see them doing sacrifices. They would sacrifice different things because they knew in their hearts there was something. God's Word tells us that the law is written on our hearts. We know that there is something. And so they would try to make sacrifices to appease and to, and they didn't understand fully who God was. Some religions would tell them that God was a, a vengeful and evil God, that they had to do certain things to meet his requirements. And we had the opportunity to share with them God's love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And that he was the ultimate sacrifice. And that he gave his life for us. And so, because of his suffering, we have salvation for all that will repent. And death isn't defeat, but it's the beginning of life. Our sins are now carried forever by someone else, and we will never have to bear them again. And so as we look to this passage, as we look to who Jesus is, again, this passage is written some 700 years before Christ. And it tells us again that he, he want, he's not going to look like we expect him to look. But he's going to be what we need. That he's going to take our punishment that we deserve. But because of that, he will triumph over sin and he will triumph over death. And we too have hope because we have hope in a risen Savior. We have hope in a God that loves us and loves you so much that he was willing to give his life 
So again, we see his depth of his suffering shows us his depth of love. I encourage you to take a moment to reflect on his word. Take a moment to search your heart. If there may be a way that God is speaking to you through this passage, speaking to you through His Word, we can have hope because we serve a risen Savior. I want to encourage you that if God is working in your life, don't let today go by without responding to him. For some of you, it, it may be that you've been waiting for something. And in that waiting, you have struggled and you've cried out. Maybe today it will give you some peace and hope to wait on the Lord that his timing is good, that his timing is perfect. For some, maybe today you are understanding who he is and the price that he paid for us. For some, that it's just a reminder that we need to get back to him. So I'm going to pray for us as we end, as David comes to lead us in closing. If there's any way that I can minister you to you this morning, I'll be down front. If you just want a time just to, to sit and to pray, use this time as well. Please join me in prayer. God, I thank you that you are a good God. God, I thank you that you are a loving God. I thank you that you are a gracious God. Father, this morning as we celebrate Palm Sunday and we celebrate the Passion Week, Father, I pray that we would be reminded of what you have done for us, the depth of love that you have for us. Father, we wouldn't miss it this week. Father, that we would understand that we have no hope beside you. And Father, that if we were to turn from our ways and that we were to follow you, Father, that you love us, that you will take our sins. Father, you will take our worries, you will take our fears, and you will, God, you will bear them. And we have to bear them no more. So Father, as we respond to you this morning, Father, I pray that our minds and our hearts would be open to you, Father, we would get rid of the distractions that are in our life right now, Father, in our mind. And Father, we would allow you to speak to us. It is in your precious and your holy name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing and worship the Lord in response.
study God's word and as we have an opportunity to worship together. I read this quote this week from R.C. Sproul and he said, the one who no longer sits on a donkey but now sits on a throne. And that is our God, that is our Savior. So this week as, as you go, remember uh, who he is, his work, what he's done for us. Revelation chapter 7, verse 10 says, And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I pray this week will be a blessing to you as we celebrate what Christ has done for us. Remember next Sunday, we'll be at 9.30 in the sanctuary for a combined uh, passion service. And then at 10.30, our Easter worship service. God be with you. Have a wonderful day. You are dismissed.